to Philippians chapter 1 for our scripture reading. Philippians chapter 1, text is verse 21 to 24. Philippians chapter 1, verses 21 through 24. Please follow along as I read. Paul says, For to me to live is Christ, and to die is gain. But if I live in the flesh, this is the fruit of my labor. Yet what I shall choose, I wot not. For I am in a strait betwixt two, having a desire to depart and to be with Christ, which is far better. Nevertheless, to abide in the flesh is more needful for you. May God bless His word. Then there was light. Let's bow in prayer. Father, we are grateful for the opportunity we have to meet together today. We pray for those in our fellowship that are ailing. Uh, Peg Rogers or Peg Willie, we pray for her, uh, and and John Anderson, both battling COVID. Um, we pray for healing. Pray for Joanne that you'd help and encourage her heart, strengthen her as they listen in and, and are with us online. I pray for Mr. Kerr that you would strengthen him, and uh, thank you, Lord, for him being able to join us on Wednesdays and. Just pray that you would bless him and help him to get stronger each day. And uh, Father, pray for comfort uh, for Noreen and others who've recently lost loved ones. And then we want to pray for Kylie Wetzel and for Skip Smith. And just thank you so much. Just in a matter of days, uh, you raised up donors for, for the replacement kidneys for both of them. The same week they both had surgeries and now, Lord, they're healing and we just pray that you'd help them to have a rapid recovery and that both of these kidneys would last for years and years for the rest of their lives and that they would be long lives, lives that you would bless, help their recuperation and their um, rehab to go well. And uh, Father, thank you that we can open your word today. Feed us from your heavenly manna. And then, Lord, as we would have our soup and chili fellowship and the panel discussion, just bless every aspect of our day today that we might be a blessing and encouragement to one another. And we thank you so much. Thank you for um, the nobles being with us. Thank you for Josh being with us. We want to commit Josh to you now and ask you to bless the next two years uh, and the next uh, two couple months as he prepares for marriage. Pray that that would go well, that you'd bless their union and uh, that their first years in ministry would be a great foundation for a lifetime of service. And uh, just meet Josh's needs spiritually and financially. Uh, that, In fact, help raise support quickly, Father, so that he can focus on what you've called him to do. And we just ask your blessing upon him and ask your blessing upon this day. In Jesus' precious name, amen. Again, we hope you can stay after for our soup and Philly, chili Fellowship, we are preaching through, I am preaching through the book of Philippians in our morning service. Again, I'll take a break for a week or two uh, starting next week, but right now we are at chapter 1, verses 21 through 24. We've already mentioned up to this point, Paul is writing this letter to these believers, and he is uh, talking about his imprisonment for the gospel. Paul's in jail for obeying God, doing the right thing, preaching Christ. And he is awaiting his uh, 
his trial date with the Roman tribunal. And uh, he doesn't know how it's going to go. You know, he is understanding that he's living in an atmosphere that you and I really, most of us or many of us cannot relate to because you and I, first of all, we don't need to fear being in prison for preaching the gospel. Not yet. And we also don't need to fear being put to death for preaching the gospel as if it was, you know, a, a crime against the government. But that's the, the, the times that Paul was living in. In fact, Paul would eventually uh, be martyred. We use that term, but in a sense, he would end up experiencing capital punishment for the crime of preaching Christ. And we don't have to deal with that right now. But so he's been writing about his, his trial coming up. And he's been talking about how God has taken things, unfortunate things such as his imprisonment, and how God has used it for the advancement of the gospel. And now Paul turns to a, a, a more personal note, sharing his own opinions and his own feelings as he thinks about uh, his own personal future, whether he lives or dies. We mentioned that, verse 20. Uh, According to my earnest, earnest expectation and my hope that in nothing I shall be ashamed, uh, Paul wanted this trial to bring glory to God, whether it meant he would die or whether it meant he would be exonerated and then continue to minister. Now, we get to this point now, in, in verse 21 and following, where he shares those two options, life or death. And he contemplates from his own personal perspective, you know, what if, what if option A happened? What if option B happened? Life or death? And as we're going to see when we pick up with this in a couple weeks, uh, in verse 25 and 26... He was pretty sure, because he knew the God of life, (laughs) he knew the the sovereign God that created the earth and that works all things together after the counsel of his own will, he was pretty sure that God wasn't ready to take him home yet. Because, and he shares that in verse 20, look at verse 25. Having this confidence, in other words, I'm convinced of this, I know that I shall abide In other words, I'm not going to die. I'm going to remain and continue with you all for your furtherance and joy of faith. Verse 26, that your rejoicing, in other words, boasting about Paul, may be more abundant in Christ Jesus, Jesus Christ, for me by my coming again to you. So Paul was like, he's sharing this, what we're going to look at today. And then he said, but you know what, I'm I'm pretty sure that God is going to keep me around. Because you're not ready for me to leave. He had a ministry with them. And, um, and he was real excited about that. So, we talk about options. And we're talking about life or death. Now, I have been accused by my own children of being morbid sometimes. So, let me, listen, let me, let me share with you what an official definition of morbid is. And you'll know whether I am or not. Morbid. 
And this is, by the way, vocabulary.com, which doesn't always go right into the definition. Sometimes it gives an example. So listen to what it says, morbid. If the first section of the newspaper you read is the obituaries, you could be considered morbid. Guilty, guilty. Morbid is a word used to describe anyone who spends too much time thinking about death or illness. In fact, it comes from the Latin. And the, word Latin, the, the Latin word that it comes from is uh, morbidus, which means diseased or sick. And it, it, is, it is used to describe someone, as that definition was, spends too much time thinking about death or disease. I beg to differ with that definition. Okay? And I am, you know, before I know some of you are already writing me off as some old guy that just goes right to the obituaries. I submit to you that I became morbid when I was 17 years old. I, and I'm going to stick to this story, no matter what. This is my story, and I'm sticking with it. Two weeks before I would turn 17, many of you know the story, that uh, a friend of mine filled in for my co-worker at my summer job, and we were patching a hole in the roof, and my friend, my best friend at the time fell through, landed on his head, and was in a coma for several months. Uh, we were both there, and uh, it would be... Again, I was 16, almost 17, and that, that would scare me like nothing else. I became keenly aware of my own mortality when I saw that happen to my friend. And it would be that, that very year that I started hearing the gospel. And I, I'm convinced that um, when this... Because I'm convinced by, by all the friends that went to this Bible study. I went to a Bible study at a, at a health spa in Westchester. Uh, on Saturday mornings, they opened it up for free to anyone that wanted to work out. So me and a bunch of my friends had a healthy interest in lifting weights and working out. That's why we went. And no sooner had we found out that there was a catch. And yes, we could work out for free. If you didn't mind sitting around listening to a boring Bible study after it. And when that became evident, all my friends, pretty much over the next few weeks, many of them just hit the pike. They weren't interested in that. Maybe it was because you know, God was working in my heart. And, and I was at that Bible study. I heard the gospel and I got saved. And then very shortly after I got saved, the wife of the man newlywed man that was the manager of the spa that was doing the Bible study, was involved in a tragic car accident and his dear wife passed away. And, and they, had mean, they had come to mean a whole lot to me. Um, and I'm convinced by his response to losing his wife that I, that I got serious and realized that this gospel stuff, getting saved, is real. And I became preoccupied with death. Okay, if that's, what, if that's what being morbid is. Because I realized after I got saved that if people did not hear the same message, being the, the message, the need to be born again, that it, if they did not hear about the message of Jesus Christ and His death, burial, and resurrection for our sins, if people didn't hear that gospel, that Jesus was the only way, he was the only, only mediator between get God and man. I became convinced that 
If people don't hear that, they're not going to go to heaven. And yes, in that sense, I became preoccupied with life and death. And I, if that never happened to me, I'm convinced I would not be a pastor today. That's why I'm doing this. Because I care about people. And I realize that we have a message, folks, that people need to hear. I'm willing to commit my life to preaching this message. So yes, if you consider that morbid, then consider me morbid. I want to tell you something though. And, and here's where I challenge that idea. Um, morbid is a word used to describe anyone who spends too much time thinking about death. A couple years ago, I had the opportunity to witness to a classmate of mine that I went to high school with, became friends with after high school, and uh, had the opportunity to get together with him and I remember sitting in this on the front row there with him. It wasn't on a Sunday. He just came over to visit. And I got to share the gospel with him. And he basically said to me by the words that he said, you know what? I need to spend some time. I need to spend more time thinking about spiritual things, about heaven and hell. I need to spend more time thinking about death. It's the first time that came to his mind. I was challenging him about life and death issues. Unfortunately, he passed away in 2019. Never, to my knowledge, you know, having thought about it enough. Can you think too much about death and dying? You can, I guess. In fact, I know you can. Um, I'll give an example in a little bit of someone that did, and there's a scripture verse that talks about that. Uh, there's a scripture verse where somebody for a time imagined life apart from God and came to the conclusion that it's all empty. Vanity of vanities, all is vanity. But let's jump in because you all have a choice. And I submit to you, I do not want you to be like my friend that for a brief moment understood, I need to think about this whole idea of life and death. But he didn't think on it long enough, maybe, to... to settle this matter of where he was going to go when he dies. And I submit to you folks, the Bible says, Behold, now is the accepted time. Today is the day of salvation. You, may, you put it off. You become like that king that Paul witnessed to that says, um, you know, perhaps you almost persuade me. I'll, I'll hear you. There were two actually authorities. One said, come back, I'll hear you at a different time. And we never read of that other time. And there may be people today listening to this message who think, you know, I, I do need to spend a little more time thinking about what's going to happen after death. If there is anything that happens after death, I submit to you, this may sound weird, but you may need to be a little more morbid. You may need to think about death more than you have. The younger you are, I know this, the younger you are, the less people like thinking about it. And my, my, all my friends would attest to that. That's why they didn't want to hear. This scared them. Who, nobody wants to think about life and death. Paul did. So let's jump in and, and see what Paul had to say. We're going to see three things this morning and uh, before we eat. So uh, I will try not to drag on. First of all, Paul talks about the options that we are given, life or death. Then secondly, we are going to look at verses 22 and 23, weighing the options. Paul's thinking through. Life, death. 
And what he says about these two things shows you his perspective. Paul was not afraid to die. You should not be afraid to die either. And then thirdly, we're going to look at the fruitful option that Paul felt was going to be God's answer, and it would be at that time, uh, why God did not kill him uh, at this trial, why he was not executed. Uh, It was later that he would be executed by the government, but not at this time. So look at verse 21, Philippians chapter 1, verse 21. Options we are given, Paul said. And by the way, it was pointed out here, it's a good point, that when you understand that the, most of the people that received these messages, like the letter to the Philippians, was first through hearing it. Because Paul would send a letter, and then the pastor or the leader, one of the leaders of that church, would read the letter. And so most of the preaching of that first century was, was not from people reading Bibles. In fact, if you had a... If you were able to have a copy of a, a manuscript of a Bible, that was very rare. They'd be written for the, you know, the temple, the synagogues. Uh, and so most of the people in this century, most of the recipients of this letter heard it. And verse 21 would appear or be received very differently when it was read or excuse me, when it was heard than when, it was, when somebody was reading it. Now look in the English, look at our King James in verse 21. It says, for, for me to live, and then you see the word is. If you have a King James Bible, it's probably italicized. Is, is that right? On most of your ones? Okay, some don't italicize anymore. And then it says to die is, and then the word is is also italicized. That just means the King James translators put that in there. Because the Greek doesn't translate perfectly word for word. But remember now, if you and I are the Philippians and we're hearing this, we're the, we're the fresh ones getting this revelation as our pastor's reading this letter from Paul, the Word of God. And basically the verse, the way it's, it's worded, would simply mean that Paul is saying, to live, Christ. To die, gain. It's just it's two things that are being presented. And, and he's presenting these two options. And by the way, folks, these are options that every human being has to consider. Life or death. You, you need to consider it. And if you put off thinking about it, you may just be one of those that dies at, without a moment's warning. And you pass into eternity ill-prepared. Do not be unprepared for your own demise. So let's talk about the options. If you are unredeemed, that means you are not a Christian, a born-again Christian. That's the only kind of Christian. You've not been regenerated. You've not received um, and believed on the gospel. Uh, You may consider yourself a Christian, but you've never entered into a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. Your options are different. In fact, we go all the way back to the time when God spoke to Israel in Deuteronomy chapter, you don't need to turn there, Deuteronomy chapter 30 and verse 19, 
Because what God set before Israel, He sets before every human being. Listen to what God said. He said, through Moses, Deuteronomy 30, verse 19, I call heaven and earth to record this day against you, that I have set before you life and death, blessing and cursing. Therefore, choose life that both thou and thy seed may live. Two choices, death or life. Now, the same choice that Israel had, every one of us has. Let's fast forward now to the time of Jesus Christ in John chapter 3. Listen to what Jesus said. And he's presenting the same options. Life, eternal life. Death, judgment, eternal separation. Listen to what he said in verse 15. That whosoever believeth in him, that's himself, should not perish but have everlasting life. John 3.16 For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son that whosoever believeth in Him should not perish. That's spiritual death. But have everlasting life. Life, death. Verse 17 For God sent not His Son into the world to condemn the world, death, but that the world through him might be saved, life. Verse 18. He that believeth on him is not condemned. No death for the person that believes. But, and this is the biggest thing to point out, but he that believeth not. So there's only two kinds of people. In the scriptures, in the New Testament, you either believe or you don't believe. Now, for those who don't believe, listen to what God says. He that believeth not is condemned already. You see, folks, before you and I even know that there is this choice, maybe today is the first day you're being challenged to pick between life and death. The Bible says those who do not believe are condemned already because he had not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. My friend that was sitting right here a couple years ago and basically said, you know, i got to give some thought to these things. He thought he had time. He thought he had more time than he realized. He didn't know he was going to die in a few years from when, when I told him. Nor does anyone here or anyone listening know that you have a limited time. We all think, I can put it off till later. In fact, I, I, don't, I, I don't like morbid thoughts. I don't like thinking about death. You need to think about death. So you can be ready. He that believeth not is condemned already. That scares me. That's saying, this is not something where you can just sit back and chew on it. Yes, you can chew on it. You, you, God will never force you to make a decision, folks, but you need to think through these things. You need to think through, where are you going to spend eternity? And some have less time than they think. Here's another one, 1 John chapter 5, verse 11 and following. This is the record that God has given to us eternal life, and this life is in His Son. He that has the Son... 
That is, if you have Jesus Christ, you have life. He that hath not the Son of God hath not life. Going back to John chapter 3, folks, there are people that have a death sentence hanging over them, and they don't even realize it. And maybe maybe it's because they don't like thinking on morbid thoughts. What's morbid again? Having a preoccupation with death. I submit to you that you better, you better occupy it in your mind for at least a little bit of time. Then you can put it off. But you need to get ready for your own death. Because the Bible says it's appointed unto men once to die. And after this. Surprise, surprise. You know how many people think it's appointed unto men once to die. And then everybody's gone. Evaporation. We all disappear. That's it. That's the end. It's a, and what a shock it's going to be. It's appointed unto men once to die. And after this. It's interesting to me. That. Um, I, thank you for praying for Skip. I, I, he called. If you were with us on our prayer meeting Zoom on Wednesday. Uh, right as we were closing. I got a phone call. And I told him, Skip's calling me. He doesn't know. He must not know I'm online right now. And yes, he did. He wanted, to, he wanted me to put it on audio so he could thank everyone for praying for him. So Skip, I apologize for that. Um, but then I, so I talked to him right after, and I found out, and, you know. And he shared this with me. He said, um, he reminded me, he actually told me this before. Skip witnessed to his mom for 30 years. Uh, I mean, 30 years. If you know Skip, that doesn't surprise any of us, does it? When his mom was bedridden, he once more was able to share the gospel with her. And she made a profession of faith. And uh, one of the great signs that she got saved was she leaned forward. This was right after she believed on the Lord Jesus Christ. She heard the gospel. She believed and she leaned forward and she said to Skip, We need to tell your father. Wow, if that's not a sign that somebody got saved. You know, they, immediately when, when you realize the gospel's my only hope, and then you respond to the gospel and you know, then you're starting to, if you, if you genuinely got saved and you realize Christ is the only way, you start thinking about the people you love. And then here's what she said shortly after that. Now remember how I started this. Skip had been witnessing to his mom for 30 years. And then shortly after she made a profession of faith, uh, maybe not the same conversation, but she looked at Skip and she goes, why didn't you ever tell me this before? <laughs> what? <laughs> you know, Skip, like, I've been witnessing to you for 30 years. But you know what? That is very common. Because she was spiritually blind. When God opened her eyes, she realized, I, I love hearing that. It's like, why didn't you tell me? And <laughs> You've been hearing it for 30 years. She made a choice. Now for Paul, Paul had different options. Because Paul already, according to his testimony in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, the first five verses or so, uh, Paul had already been morbid. He thought too much about death and sickness. And he got saved. He heard the gospel. He believed wherein he was saved, as he communicates there. Now that Paul is saved, he has some other options. And, um, and the challenge, 
Again, for me, Paul said to live, and by the way, this is only the, the perspective of somebody who has settled their eternal destiny. If you've not been saved, if you've not been born again, you don't know where you're going. You're not sure. You need to settle that matter. Then the option for Paul is to live Jesus Christ. To die, gain. What an amazing thing. I want to share a story that has been often repeated. I want to read from one account. In fact, this, question, this story has been repeated so many times, I've even repeated it before. Um, some have doubted the history of this because they cannot find the actual uh, news headline in the archives. Uh, but it, it, it seems very likely this happened. You've heard of the Nobel Peace Prize? Uh, that was founded by a guy by the name of Alfred Nobel. Nobel, not Nobel, Nobel. And in 1988, up to 1988, he was known for one thing. And let me read to you the, 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 way, the, the story that I read in this one rendition. He said, it is possible to live under delusion. You think you are kind, considerate, and gracious when you really are not. You think you are building positive stuff into your children, when in reality, if you could check, check with them 20 years later, you really didn't. What if you could read your own obituary? How do people really see you? Here's the story of a man who did. You ever wonder how you'll be known when you die? For my 60th birthday, my kids got a few close friends and family to share a tribute to me about me. And I got to listen to it. And it felt like I was at my own funeral. Oh, that guy's great! <laughs> you know? But, you know, think about that. At your own funeral. Well, you know, well, this guy got to read his own obituary. Wait a minute. If he read his own obituary, doesn't that mean he didn't die? He didn't. His older brother died. And the journalist got it wrong. You know, this was Alfred Noble, who had an older brother. And uh, by the way, he was a chemist and a businessman and an inventor. He was in business, in fact, with his family. Some of his brothers were in the same business. In his lifetime, he had 355 different pa uh, patents. But apparently, when he read his obituary, he was mainly known for one patent. The father, how was it worded? The dynamite king. Because he was a chemist... He invite, invented dynamite. But, but he wasn't all about dynamite, and it wasn't like he was this uh, you know, morbid person that was, you know, I just want people to die. He was very much for life. And that was just one of his inventions. And so can you imagine opening the paper one day and reading your own obituary, and you are called the dynamite king? Well, first of all, I'm sure he was very glad that he, he, he was actually alive. But he was devastated that that's how he was remembered. And the story goes that that's what led him, from that point he changed his will, to set up, because he had many riches, to set up the Nobel Peace Prize. It was actually the Nobel Prize. It was for five areas. Um, it was for um, physics, chemistry, medicine, literature, and peace. And then they'd add, after his death, I think they added economy, economic uh, prize, but 
So now we, we know the Nobel Peace Prize. So, you know, he got his wish. But you know what's sad about that? Alfred Nobel was a, a Lutheran who, you know, the Lutheran church by that time or at that time still had some gospel in it. But then later in his life, he became an atheist. Isn't that tragic? So here's a man that gets the chance to see his own death and consider his own legacy, but he doesn't apparently prepare for his own death. Have you prepared for your own death? I mean, have you thought through that someday you're going to die? What if Jesus Christ is really who he said he was? What if the Bible is really true, that it is appointed unto men once to die And after this, the judgment. You cannot afford to speculate on that. You cannot afford to just set it aside and think about it later. Because you are not guaranteed tomorrow. So look, look at verse 22. Paul says, For if I live in the flesh, this is the fruit of my labor, yet what I shall choose I what not. Now this is a very difficult uh, passage of scripture to translate and that you could tell um, in fact if you just look at it in English it sounds like something more or something explanatory should come after the second statement but if I live in the flesh this is the fruit of my labor and then he tells us what the fruit of his labor is but then he says yet what I shall choose I what not and the, in fact the translators put some italics in there and it, it, it just was a very difficult hard, hard thing to translate Here's what Paul's saying. Here's the idea, based on the Greek. He's saying, if I live in the flesh, in other words, if I live on in the flesh, if I'm exonerated and I'm not killed, you know, the result of my trial, then what that means is fruitful work for me. And that's the context, too. He's saying, if I continue to live, if I go on living, then what that means is I'm gonna, I still have fruitful work to do. He says, I don't know which one to choose. And then he says... Verse 22, if I live in the flesh, this is the fruit of my labor. Um, Verse uh, 23, where's 23? All right, Philippians chapter 1, verse 23. For I'm in a straight, I'm I'm really hard-pressed would be the way that would be worded today. I'm hard-pressed, I'm in a straight betwixt two, having a desire to depart and to be with Christ, which is far better. Nevertheless, to abide in the flesh is more needful for you. So he's got these options. And of course we'll, we'll see when we pick up with this that he's pretty sure God's going to be acquitted and he's going to get to live. And that idea that to abide in the flesh is more needful for you. That was his fruitful work. But you don't, have that ap- you don't have that perspective if you are not eternally minded. You know how much it thrills a pastor's heart to, to hear Josh's testimony? Josh is a young guy. Go ahead, call Josh morbid, I dare you. You know, he's not morbid, but he's given his life to, to help young people to consider Jesus Christ. Life and death. What a blessing. You ever hear of Mark Twain? Yeah, I've amateur. Mark Twain, apparently, as he got older, and I'll close with this, or I know I'm going to close with one other thing. I want to go back to skip for a minute, but Mark Twain 
became, I'm going to read this report just for time. Mark Twain became morose and weary of life. Shortly before his death, he wrote this. A myriad of men are born. They labor and sweat and struggle. They squabble and scold and fight. They scramble for little, little mean advantage over each other. Age creeps upon them. Infirmities follow. Those they love are taken from them. And the joy of life is turned to aching grief. It, that's to talk about the release or death, comes at last. The only unpoisoned gift earth ever had for them. And they vanished from the world where they were of no consequence. A world which will lament them one day and forget them forever. That is a morbid attitude. And that reminds me of Ecclesiastes chapter 2 and verse 17, where the writer Solomon, thinking outside the box of God's life and God's earth, he says, therefore, I hated life because the work that is wrought under the sun is grievous unto me for all his vanity and vexation of spirit. But isn't that sad, Mark Twain? Like, he, you just die, that's it. That's a morbid perspective. That's not seeing. See, you and I who've been made alive in Christ, even death loses its morbidity. It now becomes to live is Christ. To die is to gain. We, we, we have no law. We, we can't lose. If you're born again, no matter what happens to you, no matter what diagnosis you get, no matter what uh, punishment from the government you get, you've got nothing to lose. But everything to gain, whether it's life or death. I'll go back to Skip. Let me share with you about Skip as I talked to him Thursday night again. He was, you know, Skip, as you know, Seemingly teetering on death. He was just so weary of going to dialysis and just, he just, in fact, he shared with me just a couple weeks ago, he was, he was, he was ready to give it, give it all in. He, and I'm sure he'd felt like that many times. And he said, um, of course, he told me on Wednesday night, typical skip, I got to witness to a nurse right before my surgery. Now I'm talking to him, the surgery was Wednesday, I'm talking to him now Thursday, and he says, and then after that I got to witness to two more nurses. And in fact, one of the nurses was wearing a mask, and he said she was like a sponge. Her, all you could see was these big eyes. She was just hearing the gospel. And, and, and of course that's, so, so Skip made this statement in light of that. He said, I would never have had these opportunities if I wasn't sick. Never. And he said, very confidently, he said, God's not finished with me yet. And then he, then he very confidently said, Jesus is 100% involved in this whole thing. That's not morbid. Now, he's ready for death. He's got that perspective. But you know what? He's living every moment trying to snatch that last soul from the depths of hell i'm trying to remember oliver green would say save the soul that's nearest hell and that's what our job is we don't know who is the soul that's nearest hell could it be my friend from high school that was right here listening to the gospel he was nearer hell than he thought or nearer death at least of course you and i we don't know who we're going to talk to that might be on death's door and so it is so important for us. Can I ask, can I challenge you this in a weird way? Get morbid.
for just a few minutes so you get right with God and then you have the right perspective. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word and I thank you for this congregation and help us, Father, to uh, consider death. Help us, Father, to, to not be morbid, not that we are um, in a morose way preoccupied with death, but Father, help us to think it through. Help us to realize our own mortality, that we are subject to death and that we could die tomorrow. Not, not that we would, especially that we would not put it out of our mind, that we would understand our own mortality and get saved and get ready for eternity so that when we die, we can be like the Apostle Paul. And when it's all done, we can say, I have fought the good fight. I have finished my course. I've finished the race. And uh, Father, we look forward to eternity with you but lord we pray that we would save souls in the meantime and that you would save the soul that's nearest hell through this congregation and we pray in jesus precious name amen